Sweet. All right. We are here with Miss Jamie Sweet and Vino. Vino, you want to, uh, I always get your name mixed up, man. You want to go ahead and, and pronounce your name for everyone listening so that anytime they hit you up on Facebook or whatever, they call you by the right name. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Facebook, I go by Vino. That's what everybody in the bullies knows me as. Um, by bullies, I mean oldies, Frenchies, uh, American bullies, and exotic bullies. They know me as Vino. <clears throat> what you might see, though, is you might see a hashtag Vate's Bulldogs, and that's because my real name is Navate. And so uh, people who know me uh, family-wise, they call me Vate. And so that's why it's Vate's Bulldogs on Facebook. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So Jamie Sweet, um, you know, she be, she's been in the dog game for a long time. She's been involved with the OEB, which is our breed. She's been involved in, and created the Shorty Bull. That's where you guys might know her from. But she's just an old-time bulldogger. has been around there, has a ton of experience. And I'm just here to you know, for selfish reasons to get as much information as I can from her and just learn a little bit more about the breed and, and how she sees things today. So living Jamie, legend, living legend, hundred percent. If you, you know, don't mind, this is you... just my way of, you know, the way it worked for me. So it's not the only way, you know, there's other mm -hmm. ways, but this is the way it worked for me. So happy to share my experience. Yeah. Can you please tell us, you know, who you are a little bit about you and, and then uh, we can sure. jump into like how you got involved in the breed. Sure. Sure. Um, I was born into dogs. Actually, um, my family, my father was, um, was a dog breeder himself. Very serious about it. Um, animal husbandry was very natural for us. You know, we had horses and dogs and, you know, we showed everything and, and worked everything. And I grew up on a farm. And so, you know, back as far as I can remember, um, I can remember being in the whelping box with puppies and, you know, rubbing calves that were born in the winter that we had to bring inside and, you know, just things like that. So I was always involved with animals and I saw a lot of life and a lot of death and a lot of miracles and a lot of things that should have been a miracle and they weren't. And so I grew up that way. So, you know, all of this comes very natural to me. And, um, I always loved it. I really did enjoy it. Um, like I still do today, you know, I just, I love it. And what I love really is the challenge of it all. And, you know, the putting together of it. Um, you know, I enjoy the other parts of dogs too, but that's really my forte. That's what I really get into. And the raising of puppies from birth to eight weeks is something that I really enjoy because I believe in that head start that you can give your puppies and you know, what, it's just a beautiful thing because their little minds are open then. And I really get into that. So that's what I love. But, um, you know, I did a lot of dogs growing up. My, my family always had bulldogs, um, English bulldogs. We had, my father had, you know, some pit bulls and hunting dogs and we did a lot of hunting. And, um, so that was very natural for me too. So, you know, all around experience, I, I was just very fortunate to be born into that. And uh, my dad was a really good dog trainer, too. And and it was fun because I was right by his side. So we didn't always agree on everything. And as I got older, you know, that was another challenge. And and my dad was um, very real, very realistic, you know, but it was a fun way to learn it. And 
if you know horses, you know dogs. It's very similar. So I kind of learned it two ways, which which has always been very helpful to me. Also, and a lot of the terms we have in dogs come from terms that were used in horses. And so, you know, it's just a lot of compounded, you know, experience for me. Um, anyway, I love to talk dogs. I love to meet new people. I love to argue dogs, debate dogs, challenge. I love the whole thing, you know. Um, but anyway, so when I started on my own, you know, I had a few dogs, different kinds of dogs, always had bulldogs. Um Raised some litters of English Bulldogs, and then I saw an American Bulldog, and oh my God, that was the dog for me. And that was back what when was we it? would get, it was an American Bulldog, and it was from Mountain Gator what, what Kennels, it? and it was in the, an what American was it Bulldog. About the bulldog? What, what, what was it about it that was like, that, you know, that fascinated you? I think you? Bulldogs, you're either attracted to them, or you think they're the most unattractive dog in the whole universe. And... I love it. I love the bulk. I love the bone. I love the grit. You know, their face. I love I love all that and I love their attitude. You know, they're tough dogs and they you know, you have to know a bulldog to love it. But I I just maybe it was because I grew up around them so much, you know, but I always chose that dog, you know. And I like the status symbol that it gave too. I'm not even going to tell you I didn't. If you're leading around a bulldog, you just kind of feel like a badass or something. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. still, I think that holds true today, you know, so I love that, too. And I love to have the baddest ass in the whole place. That was really cool for me, too. So saw the American Bulldog. This is when we'd get Dog World in the mail, snail mail. You'd have to wait till the magazine came out. You know, it wasn't online. It wasn't that we were still writing letters about dogs. You know, could I see some pictures of this dog and then. Somebody has to go take pictures and then get them developed. That's another week. And you couldn't see them beforehand, so you might have cut the feet off of every picture, you know. But that's what mm -hmm. you had. So write the little letters, send the pictures. Yeah, I did all that. Um, but Dog World would come out, and I'd, you know, look through the back, and I would call. And I didn't know how much they cost then, you know. I didn't, you know, putting deposits down was, you know, something new. But anyway, so... I got this dog from Mountain Gator Kennels, and it was last pick puppy. And we got out there, and I was just like, oh, man, it's last pick, you know. I don't want it. And anyway, my husband was like, well, you're going to get it because that's all I've heard about for months. And, you know, it's going to be fine. We drove all this way. We're taking this puppy home. If, if it, it doesn't have spots where you want you can paint them on when we get home. That's what he said. <laughs> so anyway, we got this dog, and she was she ended up being a really beautiful dog, and and uh, she was a lot of a lot to handle, you know, because she was a lot different than the dogs I'd had, and you know, my dad saw her, and he's like, "What is that? Some kind of glorified pit bull? You know, I could have made that for you." And I'm like, "No, this is different." So got her, and then as we do, I. I wanted to get a mail, and I saw Got the Gap from BTK, and oh, my God, I loved him even more. Get a pup from there, the first pup. Had some issues. And it was funny, you know, because the breeder said, you know, and this is our guarantee, and I'd already bought dogs that the guarantee was not worth the paper it was written on. And I said, you know, I just want the dog. I don't need the guarantee. He's like, no. 
once you have the guarantee, I'm like, well, the last three haven't been any good, so save the paper. It's like, no, I'm going to get you the guarantee. Well, as it worked out, that dog had some issues, and I called the breeder, and I said, you know, I'm not trying to make a big deal out of it. I'm not expecting a replacement, but I just want you to know we're putting him down, you know, and he's got some issues that that's what the what we need to do, and I just wanted you to be aware. So then he's like, well, I'm going to replace him. And I thought, yeah, sure you are. Okay, you know, sounds good, but that's fine. If you do or you don't, just fine. I'm not going to throw a fit, you know, because I wanted this dog. Anyway, he ends up replacing it with a dog that, that became one of our best American Bulldogs. And, yeah, and it was really cool how it worked out. And we got this pup, and I, he asked me, you know, about it. And I said, just you choose one. I, I'm not even going to choose it. Just choose it, you know. I appreciate it so much, blah, blah. And so, you know, I love to talk to him and hear what he had to say. He was a wonderful mentor. And he made it right, and that was very impressive. And so now we had those two. And anyway, we ended up really enjoying the American Bulldogs. And we did. We had quite a few of them. We did that for quite a few years. And that was during the time when the Internet did come out. You know, like, it used to be just a few of us on web TV on a message board. Remember web TV? I don't even know if you guys are. Mm -hmm. You're probably too young to even remember. It's silly. But yeah, I'm we'd familiar have to, with the message boards. It's probably the same as, as a lot of the old school ones are, yeah. Well, web TV was like, you know, you had this little thing you plugged into your TV, and it was crazy. Yeah, we'd have to go up to Mike's sister's to do it. Yeah, this was a long time ago. Oh, this is actual hardware that you plug into your TV. I thought oh, this was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but this, we were so this, really, you know, we were really balling because, you know, because we weren't writing letters anymore. We were doing this. It was really cool. But there was about seven of us. And then from there, we uh, started a message board, the Johnson message board. My buddy started that, and, you know, and we got a website, and we were one of the first people on the American Bulldog resource page. I don't know. I imagine it's still going. It's huge. That was that was a big deal, you know. And, and so we were traveling all over to shows and um, taking a lot of dogs to shows and having fun, and, you know, and the American Bulldogs – they were gritty and they, I mean, it was, you know, it was a lot of dog to handle. And that's when I thought I could handle dogs, but we didn't move feet and all that. We just hung on and we showed them in prong collars sometimes. And that was normal, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we were six foot apart before COVID was even a thing. We were staying <laughs> six foot apart in that ring because the dogs were, you know, they were very aware of everything and lively. Yeah. And it was great to show them because really all I did have to do was hang on. I just had to hang on, but I thought I was showing a dog, but you know, that's what it was. And we did that for a long time. And then I was driving around. I'd gotten lost in by Kansas city and I was driving around. I see this dog in this backyard and this was a long time ago too. It was still, you know, you weren't wary about stopping and asking somebody about their dog, you know? And so I about wrecked the car looking at this dog. So I had to go around, stop, you know, I go up to the door. I'm like, what kind of a dog is that? I love it. Do you want to sell it? Well, that was when I saw my first oldie. And I kind of had an idea what it was. And, you know, I went home and I, I gave it a lot of thought. Anyway, I decided, wow, that's really the direction I want to go. I really like that. I think I have the American Bulldogs. I have the English Bulldogs. But I wanted to keep it real on the pedigrees. You know, I didn't know if that was allowed. So I called the registries and I, you know, proposed that to them. And 
course, they wanted to see my dogs and, you know, hear my plan and all that. And I gave them all that. And, yeah, they were interested. And so I was allowed to do this foundation work. And do I said, do you remember, just... can I, can I ask like sure. what you remember about when you first saw the oldie that, that fascinated you about it, that made you want to. Oh like, yeah. I remember it like it was yesterday. Right there. Okay. Yeah. I can remember. It was more, it was like sturdier than the American bulldog. It was like bullier. Um, and it was, everything was just like compacted down a little bit. Proportions were beautiful, you know, is it like overdone, but not like sloppy. But now you remember the American Bulldogs that back during that time were, you know, okay, during that time, Mufasa hadn't, you know, made his big debut yet. And so, you know, we were working with dogs that were a little bit different looking then. And they were just, you know, but when we started American Bulldogs, I'll tell you this, they were mostly white, like they were mostly white dogs. Or, you know, there was a couple solid brindles that Templar kennels had, and they were in the back of the magazine. We always looked at Templars, too. But they weren't a lot of, they were mostly white. And so then when we got Jack, he had a, you know, tuxedo coat. And, and so that was really cool. And But, yeah, so they did. They weren't super bully or anything back then. They were, you know, they were bullier than the standard dog, but not super bully. And so, you know, the oldie was. But the oldie was just impressive to me because it was bullier. And I liked that, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it was more compact. So, you know, it appeared like it had bigger bone, a bigger head, you know, and bullier. And so, yeah, and I liked English Bulldogs. But what I didn't like about the English Bulldogs was, you know, I wanted them to be able to keep up with us better, um, live longer, you know, that sort of thing. I love the look of them, but they were just impaired kind of. And this was like a happy medium. You know, because the American Bulldogs were, they were big dogs and a lot, they were a lot of dog then. And, you know, we, we had to leave no room for error and our kids were little and, you know, we, we did okay with that and they were very aware and, but, you know, they were, uh, they were really big, mm -hmm. you know, and they might hit you in the knee or something. Yeah. I mean, our dogs, our American Bulldogs were like. From 115 to 118 pounds. And we know that because we weighed right? them a lot for weight pulling and such. So, you know, we really actually did have them on a scale. And so then the World Bulldog Alliance, that was run by Ray Giacobbe then. And he said, yes, go ahead and we'll evaluate mm -hmm. your work. And, you know, so, you know, we I decided that I'd take my dogs in and have them, you know, basically checked out. It was basic. You know, they were healthy. We looked at the things we could see. You know, did they have luxating patellas? No. You know, did they, you know, it was like that. We looked at everything. And so we decided they were healthy. And so um, I started crossing uh, my English Bulldogs with the American Bulldogs. And I love the results. And around that time, were there other people doing oldies? Like how many, how many people were doing oldies at that time? There, there were other people doing oldies at that time. Yeah, there were, um, Sullivan's was operating and there was Carlos was operating and, um, there was a Victorian Bulldogs and let's see who else, Buffalo Creek. I remember them and, uh, oh my gosh, you're, you're making my, my jog, my memory here, but there were a few, you know, there were a few. Yeah, there were, there were several, and some were doing foundation, and some were just, 
not even into foundation. Like they just wanted generational dogs. And, you know, I, I never let any of that get in my head because I wanted a type of dog and I've never let go of that ever. And I didn't care about certain things like, you know, I don't care if it's 20 generations deep. If I don't know what it is, it, it doesn't matter to me because, you know, I can't tell what it is. So I was really into seeing this feature and this feature. And if I could get this on this, you know, what would happen? And let's just see. And I had bred enough dogs to know that you can't just use one sex of when you're crossing dogs, you know, you have to have it on both. I want it on both sides of the pedigree because I wanted, if I got it right, I wanted it to be able to last and be consistent and do this time and time and time again. But mm -hmm. I didn't know what I'd get. So I started that and I was really fortunate and the dogs were so pretty and beautiful and the puppies were so, they were just so cute and nice and square. And I, I mean, they just turned out really, really nice, a real nice combination. You know, I shortened it down. Um, they didn't look like English bulldogs. They didn't look like American bulldogs. You know, they were in between. And then I had some that when I crossed the two, it just made these beautiful dogs that were bigger than both parents, you know, and, and they did that every time it was like a Nick and I've only had that twice in my whole career, but you could count on it every time. So I did that breeding lots of times and lots of times it gave me good stuff. And, and so I learned a lot. I learned so much during that time. And, you know, I was lucky enough to have my dad was there to, you know, coach me, to laugh at me, to tell me I was doing it wrong, tell me I was doing it right. You know, he was very challenging to me and I had the space and I had the time to do it. And so it wasn't like I just did one breeding year. I did a lot and, and it really turned out nice for me. Speaking and, of uh, breedings, um, I was, I was asked by a friend of mine who my, my top OEBs are, and I, I told him. The first two names that came to mind were Bombo, um, that, that was over at Carlos in Denmark and then Dirty. Um, I remember the first wow. time I saw, saw Dirty, I, I was like, how did I not see this dog before? And, and it was one of the few dogs that like had me, I mean, if I was walking, I would have, I would have jerked my neck, but I was on Facebook. So what I did was I just went back and then I started to search him, yeah. which is pretty much the same, same effect. Right. Um, so mm -hmm. I would love mm -hmm. to hear about like how how dirty was created um and then also like that's a good story yeah we, we can we can just that's... start there let's just rift on that <clears throat> okay well creating dirty was actually a challenge that my friend threw down at me and he said do you think you could do it again and i said why well, if you breed you never lose what's in your head you know now i gotta take you back for just a minute I'd sold all my whole line of oldies. Listen, this decision for me was huge. It was bigger than getting married. It was bigger than having a child. It was bigger than getting a house. I was selling my whole entire line of oldies, you know, so mm -hmm. I could do shorties because mm -hmm. I was just stretched too thin, you know, and I don't, I didn't want to do it that way. If I can't give it a hundred percent, you know, I don't, I don't want to do it halfway. So this plagued me for months, like six months. I thought about it. Finally, I decided, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I had dogs that never get the blood back from. I mean, this was it. And that's what was holding me back. So then sold, it, sold the whole line to 
to a person. And, you know, it was, it was a sad day, but what I learned from that was great. And what I learned was it didn't hurt as bad as I thought it was going to. You never lose that knowledge. All you need to start back up is the money and the resources to go find the dogs you need. Okay, well, I, mm-hmm. that didn't come to me until I did that. And so anyway, so I'd sold out. So I had sold a dog to a friend of mine in California, and he said, I want to use this dog for a little while, and when I'm finished, you know, I just want to send her back to you. And, you know, a lot of people say that never happens. Well, this actually happened. And she did come back to me, and then I was talking about that, and that's how the challenge was thrown down about, do you think you could do it again? I said, yeah, I think you could do it again, you know. And my formula for this was so simple. It was just simple. I don't look at the peds or I, I look, consider that white noise. I look at what's in front of me and, okay, this is what I need to get. So one of the simplest equations I use all the time is putting mass on a frame. Okay, that's all I got to do. I got to put mass on a frame. I'm real into the right frame because it's the framework of your dog. So the skeletal structure of your dog, that becomes the major faults. The major faults are skeletal issues. So if you can get a good frame and then add mass to that, bingo. That's great. So I said, yeah, I can do it again. So um, can we I had pause there for a second. A- sure. So, so. I want to I want to talk about that. So you're saying do it again. So you had you had dogs like dirty prior to this. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had dogs okay. like dirty. Maybe not as refined and beautiful as dirty, but mm-hmm. I had the nuts and bolts part figured out, you know. And mm-hmm. that wasn't my first dog named Dirty. So obviously, yeah, I had some before that. I had. I'm sure you saw the picture of the dog with the tail, and he was just shredded. And he was an outside dog on dog food and sunshine and water, you know, and he mm-hmm, looked fabulous mm-hmm. all the time. Okay. So anyway, Lola came back and she was, you know, she was a big battle axe of an American bulldog, you know, just a big old bitch, you know, big everywhere. Um, she had a little bit of an attitude, but that's always a good thing too. You know, that makes him stand a certain way and look a certain way. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing. So she was the mass. And so I just needed the frame. So I had chosen this dog from Taurus Bulls Brinks. Um, Brinks, I had, a, I had a Kila already. And then Brinks came here. And Brinks's frame was just so put together. You know, he might have not been the most bulkiest dog. He didn't have all the mass. He wasn't overdone. But I thought he was just right for what I needed. Because I like to put a cleaner dog on a... You know, on a massive dog, I like the results from that. You know, because I never want too sloppy. I'm not really into sloppy at all. And although we is have these exaggerated, I think Brinks. I've seen this Brinks. I, I think I've seen this Brinks yeah. on Facebook. Does he does he still have his blood going around right now? Yeah, I think, I think so. A, I think a lady I named think Karen Brinks has is, some of his line. Yeah, Karen at Taurus Bowls. Yes. Okay. okay and I cool. do believe that at the time we're recording this, I think he's still alive. I know he's an older dog, but. You know, I think he, I think maybe they have him stored, but he was a beautiful dog and, and I really liked him. And so that was the combination I did. And then I had the puppies and wow, what a litter, you know, out of that litter, I had Grizz and I had Atlas and Faith and Dirty and the little bitty guy went to some friends in 
Florida, the stakes, and he's still he's still here too, and they're old now, but it the so whole dirty? dinner was really beautiful. So dirty's a brink son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, you definitely put the mass and size on that dog. I mean, because Brinks is clean. Yeah, right? yeah. That's how I know Brinks. He's clean. When you said that, I was like, he's "Is clean. that him?" Okay, because she. I know. She has yeah, a, I had. He's uh-huh. she's dancing. He's clean, but you know, she had she had litters that look exactly like him. Yeah, it's a clean dog. That frame is, yeah, that frame is nice, you know, and so that was that litter turned out so beautiful, and you know, I had these pups, and Dirty was. You know, he just always appealed to me. And Atlas, we sent out. Anyway, he came back later to us. Friggin' huge head, beautiful dog. Um, you know, Faith was the only female in the litter. She's had some puppies. But it, it turned out really good, and that's where I got him. And, you know, to have him turn out and his his brothers turn out and, and his sister, it was pretty impressive to me. Um yeah, so that's how he came about. And he was after the fact, after I'd done some things with oldies and, you know, stopped. And when I yeah, saw it was um, when I saw um, Dirty, I was like, that is without a doubt a US OEB. Like for some reason, right? he just looks like right. a throwback to like the old school ABs and what they would look like when mixed with, with the bulldog. And just, yeah, yeah, I love that yeah. dog. Love that dog. Um, yeah, he was really, really a pretty dog. And, you know, he had a lot of mass and, and muscle definition. And, you know, he wasn't too long or too short or too tall or too, you know, and he was just all that. And he had a great temperament, too, and a big old head. And, yeah, he was appealing to a lot of different breeds of dogs. You know, people noticed him. And, yeah, that was cool. Did you uh, did you do any other breedings off of Dirty? Did you did you continue after no, that? Or was I didn't that kind get of to. like that was it no i didn't get no i didn't get to no i lost him way too soon you know i lost him i lost him at a dog show (laughs) yeah and it was that's another whole story but yeah lost him at a dog show and yeah i wrote a little thing about it on facebook but it was craziness yeah so he's gone but i yeah i did send out semen a couple times on him Mm mm-hmm So yeah, I know Chris had a litter off of it, but for those of you guys Chris listening, litter. um, mm-hmm. brings it brings it still out there. <laughs> so half of the I know that, half of the I recipes think about out that there. Sometimes, yeah, I think about that sometimes, and you know, yeah, it would be really neat to see if we could get that done. It would be really unique if we could, but I don't know. You know, now I don't have a female. I'm sure they're out there, but you know, his mom was a battle axe for sure. Let's uh, that's a that's a perfect segue into like, let's talk about a few things. One, you know, what does the OEB mean to you? Um, and and another, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that one after. Let's just talk about that. We'll start with that. What is the OEB to you? The OEB to me is is like a, it's like a version of a dog of long ago, you know. But like a correct version of that. Okay, so all the Bulldogs go back to probably Crib and Rosa. You know, I know a lot of breeds claim Crib and Rosa as ancestors. I don't know if everybody knows Crib and Rosa, but if you don't, you need to. You know, the two famous dogs from a long time ago, the Bull and Terrier. Um, 
crib and rose of bull and terrier you know and we know the story from there but you know i think back when the bulldog was made after i went to london and and i met people and i saw and i got set at the round table i think it's kind of a lot like maybe today when it's just a free-for-all and everybody's doing their thing and mixing and you know some of those things don't turn out they're freaky things you know but the bulldog is always i mean it's a man-made thing and we always have to remember that it's a man-made dog we have to selectively breed that you know a dog wants to go back to a natural form always um what's a natural form the pit bull i in my opinion i think that's the ultimate dog you know can survive it can has endurance it has does, wind does everything yeah the athlete does everything but it's a lot for people you know it's a lot for certain people so you know the bulldog we've we've selectively made that and you know still to this day we have to if you want bone you have to breed to bone if you want head you have to breed to head you know if you go back to a terrier there goes everything back to terrier you know so to me you know the oldies should be a, a wonderful family dog um and i like to compare it to the quarter horse as far as the working ability of a and the oldie you know the quarter horse good for a quarter mile that's where its name comes from I think the oldie's good for, you know, it's a short burst type of dog. Um, I don't think anybody's catching bulls anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we need it to catch any bulls. I think the, you know, dogs have lost their jobs a long time ago. So the reason we have many dogs now is why? Because we like to look at them. We like to play with them. They're, they fill a place in our family, you know. So... Do they have to really do those things? I mean, some people try to do it still. Um, but I just say broaden your circles and you'll really quickly get an idea of, you know, who does real work and who does a little bit of work and who does fake work and who doesn't work at all. Okay? We have all those mm -hmm. categories to be in. And I'm, I'm not – this is just my viewpoint again, but – I think an oldie should be functional, you know, in the fact where it, it leads a normal daily dog life. I mean, we shouldn't have to help it clean itself. We shouldn't have to help it upstairs or, you know, it should be able to do normal dog things. You know, do I think it should run 10 miles a day? No, I don't, because that's a whole different form we're going to take on if we want that. And this is supposed to be a bulldog. It's not supposed to resemble an English bulldog. You know, it's not, it shouldn't be an English bulldog that didn't get the papers, but suddenly became an oldie. Not that. It shouldn't be small. Um, you know, it should be, can it work on a farm? Yeah, probably it would be a great farm dog to hang out on the porch, bark when somebody came, you know, keep things in line, but it's not going to herd sheep, you know? So you always yeah. have to remember those things too. A bulldog is not a herding dog. You know, that's why there's herders and then there's bulldogs, you know, and it was bred to do the front of the cow, not the back, not the herding thing. Once to get in there and get the cow. Now, on my farm, that wasn't really helpful to me. Okay, they were more, <laughs> more of a, God, go pan them up because they're going to, yeah, not be real helpful. They're not a but herding they dog. Have, they're, they're a hurting yeah. dog, right? Like my, a hurting my female, dog, she, yes. She can do yeah. some damage in the yeah. blink of an yeah. eye. But endurance, she's yes. probably not gonna. She's probably not gonna do a lot. But if you're not right. watching, if you're not watching, they can do some damage, right? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so if it has, power. you know, four legs and runs and yeah, they still that's still in them. They want to get it. They're real prey driven. Anyway, and then as I bred them, I learned about how you can get the wrong brain in the wrong body, you know, because I was really, really wanted all that muscle and mass. And I wasn't thinking about how long it takes to cool off, you know, mm-hmm. it takes longer mm-hmm. time to cool off that than when you have the brain in them to keep going and going and going. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's a bad combo, you know? And, and that, that's some more form follows function stuff that, you know, we can't beat that. We're not going to beat that, you know. But I don't know why, for some reason, for, for dog people, that's such a hard concept to learn until you experience that yourself. It's a hard concept to learn, you know. Uh, just like that, I think an oldie should have bunchy muscle. When I say mm-hmm. bunchy muscle, I don't mean long, striated, you know, muscle from running you know but bunchy short muscle from power lifting and i think right, it'd be right. like a power lifter type of breed you know sprinter um, versus endurance runner yeah 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 that's a that's a good way to put it you know short bursts of intense activity short bursts of intense play short bursts you know and really when you think about our lifestyles now how does that not fit? That fits beautifully into our lifestyles, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, I we think have that's short a whole other conversation. Well, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think like, uh, I think we have to be realistic about, you know, what the dog was created for. And I think from, you know, from hearing from people that have been doing this for a long time and have actually looked in, and been students of this, um, the bulldogs back then weren't, weren't breeding true. They weren't like a, a specific breed that like, was solidified mm-hmm. and stuff it was more like a type right it was it was a it was a it was oh, a yeah. job that it yeah. did and it was and it was something they're striving for um but today we mm-hmm. like you're right we don't have the same uh requirements of these dogs so right we I, don't. i'm interested to hear your view of like how that fits in with the standard and if we should be breeding for that or or if we should separate or if there needs to be a distinction well, made of of what we're looking for in my opinion i do think there should be a separation and my reason for this is it's you can go out today and you can find oebs of all shapes and sizes okay to be a breed you need consistency okay to be a concept you can be all over but when you want to be a breed and you want to have a papered breed and you want to have a standard that people can shoot for then you need to have your type needs to be set and almost all breeds that includes a size, you know? So in my opinion, I think it should be split at 16 inches, 16 and under 16 and over. Okay. That would be one. That would be one split that would make two categories. And that would be great because 16 and under people, those people want smaller dogs, you know, they don't want the big, huge ones and the ones that want the big ones want the bigger ones. So I don't think that would be a, I don't think that would be a bad place to start, you know? Um, and, and it just takes time. And will you get in betweeners? You will, you know, but if you, if, if you're really trying to be a breed, that's just part of it that you need to work. You need to work this way or that way. You know, you can't keep going in between if, and so that's up to the people behind the breed as as to what they want 
Um, I think we have different standards according to registries now. And, and so it matters, you know, where you want to present your dog. But the oldie's also a dog that's coming out into these registries that's never been here before. And, you know, it's, it's hard to just automatically just come in and boom, you got full classes and all that. It's hard to do. It takes yeah. a few years for people to, you know, get accustomed to it, to want it, to do research, to find out more. And, and during that whole time, you have to have dogs to show and keep up even when there's no competition and it's brand new and everybody's arguing about the standards and this, the judges don't know how to judge it because it's new. And, you know, there's a lot of little growing pains there that a breed has to get to, but it, it's, it's right. It's, it has to go through those things. In my opinion, I think a breed shouldn't even be brought to the ring until you can ensure some full classes. You have to have a population. People want to skip that part. That's that's not helpful to a breed. A breed means a population that is sim very similar, not identical. We're not going to have identical dogs. We're going to have consistent dogs, but we need a population. So I know it's exciting. I know a lot of people have visions and all that, but really and truly, we need to have a population of dogs that fit what you you know set for a standard. And so anybody I, that's I, breeding should have in? an idea. Sure. So there's uh, there's two questions I, I want to ask here. One is, you, you mentioned the population, um, and and these kind of piggyback on each other. But like first of all, we have I think there's there's a division. Not necessarily. I, I like what you're talking about about height because we got we have to talk about that as well. But another mm -hmm. one is we have longer longer noses, more athletic mm -hmm. type bodies. The dogs that people expect to be able mm -hmm. to catch hogs, be able to bull bait, and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we have mm -hmm. the ones that I personally like. I think you like as well the more bully, the wider, extremes, mm -hmm. heavier set dogs that are like impressive mm -hmm. animals. So there's two different types there, and they could be you know above or. Most of the time, they're going to be above 16 inches, let's be honest. Um, could be below if they're really freaky, but that's one thing. So two different standards that we're trying to hit to when you talk about actually having a population that has it. The second thing is, how do we get there in the meantime when we don't have the population? So we don't have to end up you know, having one or two dogs at shows getting right. ribbons and then getting champed out or whatever and sending the wrong message to the rest of the community mm -hmm. as to like what we're striving for. One of the things that people have to learn is their lane in dogs, okay? Instead of trying to make everybody drive down the same road, you need to cut your own path. That means you need to get your own group of people who believe what you believe. And don't quit worrying about what everybody else is thinking. Get your own people and your own population and do what you're supposed to do. Instead of telling everybody, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But they all still show at the same show. and then wonder why it's all over the map but we can't do that okay so you have to a part of really making it work and making it real is a population of the same type of dog okay so you can i mean now that everybody called them oldies okay then you need to have probably two kinds of oldies i mean if we're going to separate into different things if these guys are going to catch hogs and these guys or not, they're not the same. They don't look the same. They don't do the same things. They're not the same. So let's quit calling them the same thing and fighting mm -hmm. over who's right and who's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, then 
but you need a group. You know, two dogs is not a breed. Two dogs is neat, but it's not a breed. Mm-hmm. And that was my big problem with shorties is I wanted to have like 20 adults that were full grown that fit the part before we ever, you know, got public with it. But it didn't happen that way because it just, you know, people, people want what they want and they do crazy things, you know, but I, go ahead. I think. I, I was going to say, I think that's a really good point. And I think part of the part of the dynamic there, just listening in, is people paving their own roads. It takes a certain type of mindset. It takes a certain type of person. And what we see from my perspective looking out there is, is you have a lot of people who don't know. And so they're not willing, they're not confident enough to start off on their own road or to go with what, or even express what their ideas might be Um, or ask questions like, hey, how come we don't see more dogs like uh, dirty anymore in the game, right? Um, How do we get back there? If this was, this dog was a legend, how do we get back to this point and make this dog more common in the OEB? And we don't see that. And I think part of it is, is, as breeders coming in, whether they're new people or people who've been around, right. it seems like in our society, it's a lot easier for people to conform to something than it is for them to lead something. And so that make, that brings me to uh, a question for you, Jamie, is when you set out, was would you say out of the few that were doing it, um, when you started out doing a dog like Dirty, um, did you guys have the same mindset? Was that the was that the group that everybody was kind of feeding off of each other? Um, was there people already going in their direction, and you were confident in what it was that you liked and getting those results? Um, and if so, what would you say separated you from the ones that were? all doing the same thing and Jamie executing on what Jamie knew to do. The thing that really sets me apart and it's, it's, it just, it comes to play today really out front and center is I was self-sufficient in my program. I had a facility, I had land, I could keep whatever I wanted. I had studs, I had bitches. I didn't have to, I came through for me. I relied on me and I came through for me. Um, if I saw a dog I wanted or whatever, You know, sometimes it came through, sometimes it didn't, but I didn't just have two dogs that I was relying on. And that is a lot of our issue today. Um, Big programs and big kennels are becoming extinct. It's not, our world's not conducive to that anymore, really, you know. Um, And I think that makes a major difference because when you just have two dogs and you're new and you purchase these dogs and you didn't really know as much maybe as you should have. Now you have these only two dogs that you can get. That's the only two dogs you can get because that's the only, you know, you can't have a kennel. You live in the city, you know, you're young, you're having kids. You just can have these two dogs and then you want them to do everything. And I understand that. So a kennel and a program and several dogs is different than just two dogs. I mean, when you have a program and, you know, You've raised generations of dogs. You know what they're going to throw. You know what they're not going to do. I mean, 
it's just more chance that you're going to get consistent dogs down the road if you never change your mind, which is what? That's what a, that's how a bloodline develops. You don't change your mind. And your dogs become recognized for a feature. People can see before they know what the pedigree is. That's how a bloodline develops. Um, and so I think there's a lot of reasons today that we don't talk about and we don't teach and we don't naturally learn because the world's changed again and a lot of people in the city are raising dogs in, you know, constricted environments that just aren't conducive to doing what we want to do, you know? And so I think that has a that has a huge effect on, you know, why we're different today and, you know, why things have come to this place we're at today. I wonder I wonder if, because this is gonna this is gonna happen regardless. It, it is the it, it it's fact, right? Like people just don't have the twenty acres anymore. They don't have mm -hmm. the ability to have no, twenty dogs that's... anymore. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Um, I wonder if we can kind of mitigate the consequences of of, <laughs> of those constraints by just educating a little bit more, and and being more vocal and transparent about what is what is good, what is bad or at least talking about it and coming to a consensus mm -hmm. together as mm -hmm. a community on what's good and what's bad and where mm -hmm. we headed. Um, so that maybe, maybe you, you don't need as much space to do it. Maybe mm -hmm. because you're educated, you can kind of, <clears throat> you can pick and choose where you need to and fix what you need to um, more efficiently or optimally. Mm -hmm. And I think we need, that, I think, I think that goes no, back to, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, I think that goes back to, um, what Jamie said about uh, creating the group is not everybody's mm -hmm. going to agree. Um, there's some people, and we see this a lot in dogs, where it's like there there's an emotional attachment to everything mm -hmm. that they have on their yard, and so the, I think one of the the strengths of building that group is is you don't necessarily need everybody to agree, but as a unit, you guys are moving forward. The ones who share the same thoughts as you, um, they, they understand the type of dog that it is you're going for. Those are those resources that a breeder can develop in those constraints that you just mentioned. One other thing I think that we need to think about and bring to the future is our dog world has changed so much. I believe we need another outlet besides the show to for people to show off what they're proud of. Everybody's proud of their dog. You know, they want to do things. But listen, the show, the show ring for a developing breed is kind of stupid, really. I mean, it's not a breed. So what? We're just going to pick it apart on what? Everybody's opinion? That does, that's not helping anybody. You're not ready for a show. You know, we need another outlet. That That's something that's, it's a big issue and... You know, the shows are very captivating and they're alluring and they're fun and you want to go there and stuff and you want to show. But, I mean, if it's not really a breed yet, it's it's not really helping. you got to build first. You can't skip the middle part, you know. you got to build it first. And that's not always the fun part. Is this where a breed club, uh, a breed club comes um, in? Yeah, a breed club could come in, but... You know, I'm not sure if everybody knows what a breed club does and doesn't do. And, you know, um, but it sounds cool. Breed club sounds cool, doesn't it? Sounds good. But, you know, there's there's more to it than just we're all going to get together and, you know, sit around the campfire on Tuesday nights and decide what we're going to do with these dogs, you know. 
I bet I bet if the three of us got on a call, we had our stock right available, readily available, and we were just like, all right, let's see what we got. Let's see how they're progressing. And collaboratively put together a game plan. If we all share the same vision, I can't help but think that we would be able to like shave off yeah. years of going back and forth on developing on developing a certain look. Like we could if we did that with a with a mm-hmm. critical eye. And and in collaborative Do you know how you like would this. make a brief? Yeah, that's that's one thing. I've thought about this a, a bunch of times because, like, the way I did the shorties was very painful, and you know, it took a long time, and you're constantly trying to keep keep this thing in the in the direction you want it to go, but it's becoming popular, and it's oh man, it was so you know, and you think thirty, forty dogs is a lot. That ain't not, nothing. If I wanted to build a breed now, I would go get a hundred dogs. I'd get a hundred adults that I thought would fit the bill, and I'd start crossing them. And maybe four people that were interested could each have twenty-five dogs, but one person make all the calls. One person that has proven they can make a dog. Okay, everybody, listen. For this year, I'm going to make all these calls. For the next year, we're going to grow all these pups up, and that third year, we're going to evaluate. It'd be a three-year plan. But the numbers wouldn't, I mean, you have to have numbers. That's what's killing us is we have to have numbers. We got a million dogs in the world, millions of dogs, but in specific categories, we don't have, you know, huge numbers of dogs. In some we do, but, you know, it takes numbers to make this happen. But just think of a hundred, if you had a hundred adults ready to go, you could make something in a year. You would have... You know, if you had a hundred dogs, you'd have, I mean, let's put some numbers to it. What would you need? Yeah, 12 studs and whatever, however many bitches. I mean, you think 12 studs would be enough? I don't know. I think that would be a good start. You know, you'd have to make your outcross line while you're making your line. Uh, So you had something to outcross to, so you didn't have to go all the way back. And then, you know, if each person had 25 dogs to breed... That would be a lot of puppies to choose from. I think you could do it in a year. I really, I mean, I'm confident I could do that in a year. 100% confident. There's there's, there's one word that I want to clarify, because I feel like um, this word has become uh, weaponized in dogs when um, something doesn't necessarily fit the standard, and it's kind of an umbrella that people can run under um, to... Um, I guess, mitigate the heat that they can get for their dog lacking breed type. And I think that word um, is the word vision. Um, Vision is what that means is to have a projected outcome. And so when I think about the things that Jamie discussed about when she decided that she was going to do the oldies, she knew that she was going to need these type of dogs this many and that's what she set out to acquire to get to her projected outcome that was her vision what the part that you guys did not hear her say was that she was going to do her own thing what she said was this is what i need to get the outcome that i'm shooting for to make this dog that dog had a standard um and the type that she was shooting for was the type or the standard that made the dogs what they were. And so with that being said, 
um, vision used out of context has become one of the most dangerous things or dangerous words um, in terms of a dog breed and a dog breed maintaining type. Great. Um, and so to Jamie's point, I think that to reiterate, you know, the separation in classes based off of heights, cool. Somebody might say, well, my vision is this. Well, that your dog has to be within standard and your vision doesn't mean it's it's something totally different. If it's something totally different, like Jamie says, call right. it something different. And I know I, I catch myself at times um, saying things that sound like <laughs> Jamie, but that's how you know you've got a good teacher or that you're mm-hmm. a good student because you sound like them, right? Um, yeah. I, I did want to clarify that, though, that the word vision doesn't mean different. It means you're projecting that's, out. That's a good point. And if there's a standard... There's a, there's confinements for that. You know, what's funny is ironically, a lot of time I see vision used when, <laughs> when it's almost like they're blind, That's so right? True. Where it's like, they're, they yeah. see stuff going wrong and they're like, oh, this is my vision. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Like you're yeah. so far off now. Mm-hmm. You don't even see it. Yeah. Everybody else does. But they'll leave, they'll throw oh, yeah. the vision on there and, and label it the vision. A lot of people, it's, yeah, it's a, dangerous a, a thing. tool's another word that gets used like that completely out of context. Everything's not a tool, you know, and so tool doesn't mean it's a inferior dog, but a lot of times that's how it's used, you know, for so. But I mean, if you're if your vision is different, then you need your own group that's different. You can't have your vision different and then. Oh, you still want to come to this group for just certain things, but then you want to hop over here. No, you got to go all the way. And that's like, you know, vision's great till what? Till you have pups to sell and you don't have papers. And now you got to, what do you got to do? Sell them without papers? Well, that's not too profitable most of the time, you know? So there, there's another thing that comes into play. So that's fear. And you, if you're going to have this vision and you're going to do all this stuff, then... You got to go all the way with it. And and I think that naming it something different goes right along with it because it is different. You can't be different in this than the same when you want to be the same, you know? And that's why I say maybe we need another <laughs> outlet, you know? And we also need to educate on, you know, dogs that just don't make the cut. There's Every dog is not a show dog. Every dog is not a great example of the breed. <clears throat> but some of those dogs are very useful still. And some of those dogs are just better off as neutered pets, and that's just how it is. You know, if if dog breeding was cookie cutter, we wouldn't even be having this conversation because they'd all be the same, and it would be easy to do, and it would be common, and we wouldn't even probably be overpopulated because it's easy to obtain. They all turn out the same. You know, everybody wants that different thing, you know, or that unique thing. But they don't really want something Mm -hmm. rare that's hard to get. That's the trick. You know, if it's hard to get and stuff, well, then not that. So you, they want it rare, but not really, you know, unique, but not that unique. So, <laughs> you know, but but I can mm. see where that comes from, because until you've bred a lot of dogs, you think differently than you do after you've been down the path. You know, it sounds good in theory. Something will sound great until you, you try it and then doesn't even work, you know, but but you don't learn that. <laughs> There's one other thing. Yeah, so you have lots of it, you know, lots of litters. 
there's there's one other thing that I wanted to point out um, just from listening um, to Jamie. A group, it's one thing if you have a group of people that are, are leaders. True. Um, and each one individually is leading forward. But just adding numbers doesn't accomplish anything, especially if all those people are underneath one or two other people in that group. You can fully expect that that group isn't going to go anywhere. One thing that Jamie said that she had was her father. And her father was there yeah, to challenge true. her uh, and her results. Hey, you're on point, you're off point. Right now, what we see in the dog game is you'll have these groups of people that are just conformists. Right. There's no one challenging anything. There's no one pushing um, that that person um, that is hasn't done anything for, for years or for multiple breedings. They've been producing the same stuff, and it's mediocre. And the person who may be heading that group, they're not necessarily going to say, hey, this is what you need to do or anything like that because – what we see a lot of times in dog groups is you have somebody who wants to be seen as superior right. or the leader versus developing a group of leaders. Um, and I feel like that's an intricate part in moving anything forward, but especially a dog and, group. You know, people are kind of like packs of dogs too. And alpha is naturally going to emerge. That's going to happen. It's going to be the guy that is producing pups. They're nice pups. They're consistent. And you know, one litter a year is hard to keep up with a person who has more numbers of quality dogs. It's just natural, you know, and Absolutely. and so, you know, sometimes I think that's confusing for people. But I mean, that's just that's just natural how it is, you know, and I mean, at some point we have to teach enough and quit selling dreams that, you know, if you do this and this, it's all magically just happens and you can be just like me. We all carve our own path. And, you know, since dogs don't have jobs, they're sold on other things, you know? And sometimes people, I mean, it takes your ability to, you know, it's half you and half the dog now to a lot of people you know, who are new. I mean, they're, they're like, Oh, I like this guy. I believe this guy, you know, he makes me feel comfortable with business, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm going here. And then, you know, like I said, they're not cookie cutters, especially in a new breed. I mean, new breeds and visions are great, but how long do people really think it takes or how many dogs does it take to bring consistency to something? Consistency is about numbers over and over and over that, turn out like um, qualities, but not identical qualities, you know, because this is a living, breathing thing and it can be affected by what you do with it. You know, you're, you're, once you get a puppy, what you do or don't do with that dog, it affects the outcome of that dog. No matter how it starts, it's affected by you. You either help it or hinder it, you know? And a lot of times with our first dog, we make a lot of mistakes, you know? We take that first buy that first pick puppy that cost us thousands of dollars, and now it didn't quite make the cut, and we're pissed off. And but a lot of those things were because we put our own ideas in there. We didn't listen, or maybe we listened to the wrong person. We listened to ten different people. You know, that's the worst thing you can do is is take this little piece and this little piece and this little piece. And when when you're new, 
that's just find somebody and stick with that person, you know, do the apprenticeship. You have to, you have to, people say that, you know, it's riding coattails, whatever. When you're new, you, you should find somebody that you can ride on and hang on tight for until you get the feel for it, you know, but that's like not cool anymore to do that. hundred percent. Yeah. Yo, here's the thing. You can't come out the gate with the, with a vision. You gotta, you gotta appear to lose a little oh bit to you gosh, know what's yeah. what, right? Like, I'm a perfect example of that where, you know, you, you get your first couple oldies and, and you think, oh, this is it. They got the fire. And it's like, <laughs> wait, hold up. Actually, you spend a little bit of time in it and it's like, oh, wait, okay, there's levels to this. There's other things. You start to find the breeders that, that have the look you're looking for. You start to find that one-off person that's doing something a little bit different that you really like and your, mm -hmm. your taste changes, right? Mm -hmm. That's one thing. I, I love what you said about like you either you're either helping a dog or making it worse. We say the same mm -hmm. thing in software where it's like your software is either getting better, it's getting faster, or it's getting mm -hmm. worse and it's getting slower. Period. So like every single time yeah. we make changes to our code, we take a look and see, we actually like test these things out and we see is it getting faster mm -hmm. or is it getting slower? If it's getting slower, we don't even let that piece of software get get merged in. We will like go back to the drawing board mm -hmm. and see how we can fix that before we mm -hmm. even put it back in. Um, there's so many parallels yeah. with, with like, there's so many parallels with this stuff and, and, and actually uh, doing dogs, but we are, um, we're at an hour right now. I want to just like do a couple fun things with you guys. Um, and then I, I would love to have you back, Jamie and, and Vino to talk about like getting, you know, some advice for people that are just coming to this because, you know, you talked about, the new blood is coming in and they're going to be replacing people and, and we have to educate people. Um, and, and they're kind of like the next step. They're going to be taking the baton. Um, and we want to see this thing succeed. So let's talk about things like, you know, starting a new kennel, what, you know, how would you describe an OAB to them and that stuff? But I would like to talk about some fun things. Um, maybe we could talk about, you know, who your favorite OEBs are, you know, all time, right now, whatever, what you like, favorite programs. It doesn't have to be an OEB. It could be a bully, could be a, could be a Malinois, whatever. Uh, you know, what's exciting in the dog world to you guys right now? Go ahead, V. For me? For me? Go ahead, both of you guys. Uh, yep. Let me just say it. I would say the most... It takes a lot to impress us, okay? It really does. <laughs> it go. takes a lot to impress us because we are those people who go see things for real. Okay. So know that. Yeah. And so here, here's what I'll say, man. The most exciting thing for me right now, fascinating, exciting, gives me energy, um, is the shorty bull, man. <laughs> the shorty bull is by far um, the most amazing stuff I've seen. I've seen dogs that have blown my mind and I've got a list, you know, I've got top five dogs, but overall, when it comes to excitement, dog breeds, um, and just what I believe to be the best overall dog, it's, it's, uh, Jamie's shorty bulls pound for pound. Oh, um, that's, that's the most exciting thing for me. Um, and, uh, I'm looking forward to, to what that looks like in the future. Um, and then I would say, I would say, yeah, the, the shorty bull is, is got it for me, man. Um, <laughs> the, the thing is, is I believe that there's, a there's, there's three things when it comes to dogs, man. There's three, there's three types of dogs, bro. 
And I believe it, there's good dogs. I believe there's great dogs. And I believe that there's amazing dogs. And what blew my mind um, and blows my mind every time I go is Jamie's dogs and the, the level of consistency when it comes to amazing. Um, and so that, I was just piggybacking off of that. If I was to give any advice to anybody starting um, in a new breed of dogs or being a newbie coming into something, it would 100% be seek to understand, identify uh, the difference between good, great, and amazing, um, and have two sets of ears. Um, use your ears as a filter and have two sets of eyes and use your eyes as a filter as well. There's going to be things that we see that might be popular. You might see a bunch of people liking a post. You might see a bunch of engagement and comments and stuff like that. It's, to Jamie's point, it's not necessarily going to be because of the dog anymore in dogs. You have to develop an eye for that wow factor dog, what amazing looks like, what good looks like, and then use your discernment on whether or not the traction that that's, that we're seeing over here on this particular area or this particular yard, um, if it's because of the dog or if it's because of uh, the, the person driving it. Is it a popularity thing? You know what I mean? And so coming into a dog, uh, dog breed, or even making a dog purchase, like I said, seek to understand, identify the difference between good, great, and amazing, um, and know the difference before you make a move. Get that stuff down first. I like that. Because it's like you just gave the framework, right? You gave like the framework for somebody coming new to it. And in the meantime, in the, in the process of bringing the framework, you revealed like why somebody new can't just come out without having a mentor because being able to separate the news from the noise takes time. You you need to understand what are the motives behind that's this news, advice. right? And I think that's a good, that's mm -hmm. a good point to like, you have to ride someone's coattail yeah. at some point. You have to trust somebody at some point. Um, mm -hmm. So choose your, choose your mentors wisely. Absolutely. You do. Mm -hmm. Very important. I like that, you know. And thank you for that, by the way. Um I am I am proud of these dogs, you know, but I'm still really hard on my dogs, you know. I'm still very very picky about them and you know Still, every breeding is a plan. Um, that's very true. But what's exciting for me right now is not necessarily the dogs. I mean, I see dogs that I love and like and all that. And, and you know, those kind of those will always be here if you do the right hunting and searching for those dogs. They're not always, always in one place. But what's exciting for me, and I just got back from a big show. And what's exciting for me is the people that you meet that have that show you on their own what you want to see the qualities it takes to do this and last a little while. Um, those people are so exciting to me. I just want to grab them up and, you know, set them down and tell them like, you know, you're on the right track already and you don't even know it. So please let's, you know, because we need those people so badly, you know, we're getting more and more and more people all the time. And I don't think people are familiar with how many dogs 
you know, and that doubles and that doubles and that doubles. And so our little ecosystem right now is a, a sort of out of balance, you know? And so we need those people that it's just exciting to me to see somebody, to meet somebody new and just automatically recognize, you know, the qualities that are needed, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what's exciting to me right now. Dogs are always exciting to me when I see one that I like, you know, um, when I see one that, that has muscle and, and the structure's right and the temperament's right and it's shiny and clean and healthy and vigorous and, you know, has a little bit of grit, you know, but it has enough brain to be controllable and, yeah, makes make decisions on its own. It's I, inevitable. Just, I think that's beautiful. I always get excited about that. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of things uh, have been repetitious to me because I don't think a lot of people stay in dogs as long as hard as I did. It was never my intention, but, you know, I was so fascinated. Time went by and I'm still here and, you know, I'm still here, but but you you can't stay this long and not see different things. You know, it's inevitable. And so, right now, it's it would be exciting to me to bring this thing together, bring back a chain of command that we need so badly, and just you know, if we have fresh minds, mm -hmm. if there was a way we could just steer them a little bit differently, you know, and it would be more productive to our breeds and the direction we want to go instead of everybody's, you know, if you're not right, you're all the way wrong. And, right. you know, we, we really, breeds are about groups of people with a common goal, you know, common. They, to be a breed, you have to be unique. Your type has to be unique. It can be similar to other things, but something has to make you unique. And people are like, oh, do you breed to the standard? Why in the hell would you breed to anything else, you know? Read to the standard. It was all supposed to go together. Anyway, there were reasons for all this, and those reasons were good. That that framework is still good. It still works. You know, we just got away from the reasons. And, yeah, it would be refreshing to see some go-getters, you know, really commit to steering this because they believe in this breed, you know? What do you believe in the breed for? You really love this breed? Would you like it if nobody saw it? Would you like it if nobody bought it? Would you just like it? If it was just your dog. And I think that's what we need to ask ourselves. You know, because if you like it for all those reasons, then you're good. You're always, you're, you're happy, you know? You're not trying to pick a fight. You're not trying to do all these things and cause all this commotion because it's chaotic right now. You know, and it's not, it's not healthy for us if we want to get somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I think a, a couple key points that you made. One was there's an influx of new people, and and the numbers of dogs increase exponentially. And it goes back to like that universal law that we just mm -hmm. talked about, which is like you're either helping the dog or hurting the dog. Your software is either getting faster and yeah. better, or it's getting worse, right? So the same thing can be said for the dog. So we got we're increasing our dog numbers. So are the dogs getting better, or are they getting worse, right? Another thing you pointed out was that what is a breed? It, it it's a group of people that are headed toward a common goal. Right. How do we know if our goal is common if we're not talking about it, right? We're not talking about it. We have a lot of people right now on social media, a lot of people out there in the mm -hmm. community that are just talking mm -hmm. at people instead of talking to people, right? We're not we're not trying to get constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. We're not working together to make this thing better right now. Just a lot of people that are just kind of individuals. So I guess the challenge mm -hmm. is going to be, you know, how do we 
how do we unify everything? How do we how do we make this better so that everybody wins? It's it's not a zero sum game. There's an opportunity for everybody to do well here. I think the challenge is going to be to uh, to make that clear and transparent to people and and provide a path. And that's going to take somebody to push push it forward. Like you guys said, it's going to take it, it's going to take a leader. Don't know who that is. Don't know don't know what that looks like. But I think maybe in our next conversation, let's let's talk about some of the things, some of the shortcomings of of the current registries and and the way the breed's headed some of the pros of it and and what's going well and and how we can one thing potentially do, you know and then i'll bring this thing back that, in but um people need to do a that? little soul searching and a little digging deep to find out what it, what is their true motivation okay because that's one of the main things what is your true motivation here what makes you want to do this is it is it you really love the dogs is it you need something to nurture is it the money is it is it the power you think comes with it? Is it some sort of fame? Is it, you know, what is it that motivates you? Now, that's going to take you a minute to really be honest with yourself. But be honest with yourself. When we're not honest with ourselves, it's, it's a useless it's a useless thing. But our motives, our motives are not all the same. And that's one thing that, you know, if we're going to have this group, we need to understand each other. How about you know? Not right or wrong. Let's okay. Get with so somebody. I think that uh, where your motives are very similar would be you know, super helpful. You need a, if you're looking for somebody to to follow or to do the apprenticeship, like Jamie had mentioned, it's got to be somebody that um, can relate to where you're at. Um, but more importantly, influence. But in order to influence, you have to understand somebody's why. So, like Jamie said you know, the understanding portion, that part has to be gained. What is it that you're after? Where are you at now? Where are you trying to go? All of those things need to be discussed, but even more importantly, like, how do you plan to get there? You know, and having somebody that's been successful at it is going to be your best guide on how to get there versus somebody who might be on the same level as you. Um, we see this in veteran dog breeders, even where they've been around for decades, um, and all of their moves have been lateral because they're surrounding themselves with people that they can't necessarily mm -hmm. learn anything, um, that's going to help progress them forward. Right. Um, and so that's the thing about circles that I would say, be careful of is use your ears as a filter, like I said before, but then in the meantime, don't just go off of what you hear. You got to get out there and you've got to seek to understand for yourself so that that way, when you hear something that that contradicts what you've seen or what you know to be true, you have to also trust your gut. Um, and if you can't do that yet, then you got you got more to learn. And so that's one thing to Jamie's point. You know, dogs are always exciting and they always amaze and fascinate me. But one of the biggest things that I would say that intrigues me about dogs is the learning portion. You can't ever get past learning um, of something that interests you, no matter what it is. And when you get past the point of learning and you think that you know it all, that's it's just a slow death to the to the end. You know, um, you have to stay open minded. You have to keep your ears open, and you have to pay attention. You have to observe and. You know, sometimes we'll hear people say in certain mm -hmm. breeds of dogs, like, oh, I'm a scientist. Oh, I'm a scientist. Well, the thing about science is, is all they do is record things, record observations. <laughs> um, and so if you want to be a scientist in these dogs, man, that's exactly what you have to do. You have to take mental notes of the things you see. You have to pay attention. You have to be teachable. 
And you have to keep it real with yourself, like Jamie said, more than anything. Um, dogs can teach a person a lot. But like Jamie said, there's a lot of there's a lot of principles or creation laws that apply to this thing where, you know, it, it might look good. It might make all the sense in the world. But if you do it and you miss, you have to learn from there. You know, you've, you've got to have a, a thick skin. You've got to be willing to go through some stuff. You've got to be willing to build character because that's one thing that these dogs are going to teach you is character. <laughs> you got to be able to fight through disappointments. And the big thing I, the big thing that Jamie said that I really love, she said, you know, everything wants to go back to a normal form. And mm -hmm. I think that in OEBs, people can get so caught up in generational stuff and how far down the pedigree that they are that they didn't even realize that for the last 10 years, them dogs have been reverting back to their natural form and they haven't done anything to correct it because of pride. And so once again, you have to remain teachable in these dogs or eventually you will get passed up. Um, and so anybody starting off, if you come across people who seem like they're grumpy um, or they're not excited for you, uh, they're not as welcoming to you coming into a breed, it's because they got comfortable doing the same thing over and over and over again and if you come in and you're 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 vigorous and you're ready to go um just know that that's got to be an internal drive because you can't look for other people to give you those accolades to keep you going if you're in it for popularity you're 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 going to be disappointed for a long time um if you're in it to produce dope dogs stick to what you're doing um stay true to your relationships um, stay true to your words, your commitment and all that stuff, man. And you'll be successful. I think a common thread that, that we're revealing right now is that whenever you're doing something, you have to have an intention for one, but you also have to check in with yourself on a regular basis to see if you're getting any closer or further from what that goal is. Oh, absolutely. Cause there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of narcissistic dog breeders, man. <laughs> machete to pave your own road uh, that's fine eventually you'll find somebody else who's doing the same thing or somebody who's done that and they've graduated to uh, a riding lawnmower right uh, and so yeah just just stick true to, to yourself more than anything and what you believe to be true and right but you have to be constantly uh, self-checking on that you have to learn man anything you're interested in you got to learn beautiful jamie thanks so much for doing this i know you <laughs> you guys are on the road for what 1200 miles i think yeah. i read is that true oh my gosh it was so much i don't know but the last 70 were killers <laughs> i told my yeah. wife I, I told my wife to put that in perspective we could go from where we are yeah. now to our old house in california in 100 <laughs> more miles than that that's how far you guys yeah. that's yeah. that's just wild to me so um thanks so but much for know, making this you bet you bet you bet i love it you know i'm glad you had me on and 
yeah, this is what I love. So it was Heck good. Yeah. Vino, thanks, man. Thanks yeah. for being here as well, man. Uh, you guys mind uh, telling everybody where they can find you uh, and what you guys are up to in the in the near future? Sure. Well, you can find me. Same. I've had the same phone number since the day I got a cell phone. So same phone number. And it's on my Facebook. My Facebook's under Jamie Sweet, the one in Kansas. Um, I mess on Instagram once in a while, but, you know, just I'm cool Facebook. You can find me there. Most of my stuff's public. You can see it. You can look at it. Um, whatever. But, uh, yeah, I'm not very hard to find. So, and I do want to say this. My phone service is horrible, so I'm not ignoring you. You might have to call me several times. <laughs> um, my bill's paid. It's a problem where I live. I'm in the middle of nowhere. My cell phone service is garbage. So... I am sort of hard to get a hold of, but text me, message me. Eventually, I'll get to it, and eventually your call will come through if you just keep trying. But, yeah, we're really having a lot of problems right now. So, <laughs> you know, the phone service is not is not where it should be. So, Jamie Sweet on Facebook. Yes. I get it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah, um, you guys can uh, – I'm, I'm on Facebook as Vino A. Smith. Um, also on Instagram as Vino Worldwide, um, shoot me a friend request. Uh, I check my message requests daily. Um, if for whatever reason your request, if I don't see your friend request, um, if you guys are able to get a hold of Jamie, then you'll be able to get a hold of me. Uh, <laughs> same thing with Trav here. If you guys get a hold of him, you'd be able to reach me. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, Vino's got a sweet litter on the ground too. So if anyone's looking for some some nice oldies, hit him up, hit me up, hit Jamie up. We'll we'll get you in touch. I I appreciate the both of you. Yes. Nice litter, beautiful litter. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, Travis. Thank you.